Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. good to see everybody. It's good to see that you survived the big Daniel Boone festival this week. It's good to see some faces that we haven't seen in a while, and I really appreciate you being here. Appreciate those that are still tuning in online this morning. We've been going through the book of James, and I'll just be honest with you, this this hurts, man. This this is like trying to eat something really hot, or it just it's painful, and it's uncomfortable. But this is the stuff that makes us grow. This is the stuff that, that, that strengthens our faith. And this morning, that's exactly what James hits on in the end of James chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles. It's a very, very difficult passage, and it's often misunderstood and misquoted and even misapplied. But I want, I want you to realize what James does in this passage at the end of James chapter 2 is he teaches us what real faith is supposed to look like. Now, he's already talked about the importance, remember last week, of being rich in faith. Now he shows us what a true faith, what a sincere faith, what a, a faith that works in and through us and through our lives and in every part and every aspect of your life is supposed to look like. Look at James chapter 2, verse 14. This is tough stuff, guys. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well felt, God bless you, honey, I'll pray for you. You need anything, you give me a call. I'm adding to that. I think that's what James had in mind. But you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, with, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see, that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Wow, what do we even make of this? Isn't that a, a tough passage? I'll be honest, we, I, I have struggled with this passage of Scripture. And I think many people have struggled with this because it seems to fly in the face 
of everything that we teach, everything that we preach, really a lot of things that we believe about saving faith. And many times I have myself said from here and from other pulpits that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? Guess what? That is all still true. Now, what James is talking about in this passage, and, and we have to look very closely or we're going to miss it, it's not just the subject of faith, but it's the substance of that faith. He's saying in no way that faith in Christ does not bring about salvation and that works are required for salvation. But what he's saying is that those two, faith and works, are very intimately connected, as we'll see. D.L. Moody, I've been quoting D.L. Moody a lot, and there's a lot of good stuff from D.L. Moody. He says this, he says, we work because we're saved. We do not work to be saved. We work from the cross, not toward the cross. He says, I imagine some of you say, why does Paul say then, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? You must have salvation before you can work it out. I must give my son a garden before he can work the weeds out of it. If I said to him, be careful how you spend that hundred dollars, he would say, well, give it to me first. So James is talking, remember, to a saved audience. He's talking to a group of believers here. And he's, he's speaking to the church. And he's telling these believers how they ought to be. How they ought to live. And he gives us three challenging truths regarding our faith, faith this morning. I think this will make sense. We'll go through it. And the first one is that your faith must be alive. Verses 14 through 17. Verse 14 is so important to our understanding of what James is saying. It's the preface for this. Provides us what we need to understand what James is talking about when it comes to faith and works. Now notice the language James uses. Two words tell us something important. Let me read it again. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone, here's the first important word, claims to have faith but does not have works. And then he says, can such faith, can that kind of faith, a claimed faith without works, save him? And what James is saying is that a person who claims to have a saving faith in Christ, but it's obvious that there's been no impact of that faith on their lives or a minimal impact that it's had on their lives, that this so-called faith, as he says, as such a faith, it's dead, it's useless, it's worthless. And he's talking about a person who talks a good talk, but does not walk a good walk. How many knows what I'm talking about there? James is presenting an idea. Listen, this is not something new. It's not something James made up on his own. This is something presented all throughout Scripture. He's not denying salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. But he is saying that salvation, that a true faith, rightly placed and completely placed in Christ for salvation, will have such an impact on every area of your life. Not just your head, not just your, your lips as you confess this belief, but ultimately it will affect even your heart and the very... the, the, the the deepest parts of your being will be affected by this relationship with Christ so that your life will then be radically changed because this faith, it's not just a belief, but it's something in you that's alive and it's producing something good and it's pouring out into every part of your life as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Guess what? Guess who taught a similar principle? Jesus. Jesus, the half-brother to James, 
taught in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And I wonder, did James hear this? Did he listen to this? And Jesus gives what is to me one of the most frightening quotes in all of Scripture. This just really troubles me. And he begins by saying in Matthew 7, you'll recognize a true follower of God, a true believer from the false prophet or from the false follower by the kind of fruit that they produce, the kind of fruit that comes out of their lives. And then he says something quite remarkable here in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. It's funny how our, I had the privilege this morning of teaching Sunday school. It's something I, I don't normally do. But I got to fill in for Tom, uh, who's preaching a revival this weekend in, in Cleva's former class. It's such an awesome class to be part of. And, and, and our entire lesson was about this subject this morning. And then we even, somebody brought this particular passage of Scripture up. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit works these things together. But we got to be careful, church, to make sure that we're not only giving lip service to the Lord and claiming to be a Christian and claiming to have faith and even claiming to be going to heaven when in reality our faith is dead, as James says. That it's not producing anything. It's not bearing any kind of fruit. Or the fruit that is coming out of our lives is so rotten, nobody wants anything to do with it. And it's obvious to everybody else that we may not even be saved. James says if your faith isn't alive, if it isn't active and producing good in you, then it must be dead. And that takes us to the next point in verses 18 through 20. Not only must it be alive, James says your faith must be active. If something is alive, if your faith is alive, then it will be active in your life. Just like Jesus said, if it's alive and it's growing like a plant, it's, it should be producing, it should be bearing good fruit. James says that that fruit is good deeds, it's good works that should be coming out of our lives. And he points out here in chapter 2 that mere belief, and what I think he's getting at is this, this head knowledge, just mentally acknowledging who God is and that God is even real, that's not really enough. He says even the demons have that much. Even the demons believe and they shudder. They, they tremble at this truth. And if we're not careful, I'll be honest, this creates some theological problems for us, doesn't it? How often do we quote John 3.16, for example, myself, which says, whosoever believes will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And we tell people, hey, you want to get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, just like the apostles said. And again, remember our context, though. James isn't talking about mere belief. He's talking about a very specific kind of faith. One that not only saves your soul, but that actually changes your life. This idea that we can have a mental thought or belief or just a simple acknowledgement, it, it, it's passive. And James says a real faith, though it may begin there, and that's a great place to start, it eventually becomes active. It pours into every area of our life. And again, James is not teaching something new here. This is something that, that, that is, it falls in line with the rest of Scripture. And he simply reminds us what I, 
I think when we read through Scripture and we see this same principle taught, we just overlook it. But it's all throughout Scripture, this idea that we are to be obedient to God and live holy lives is something all throughout the Word of God. It's something Jesus reiterated time and time again, that faith and works, again, they go together. And what we've got to guard against is getting the cart before the horse or getting works before faith. Even though our lives should be filled with good works and is a Christ, should, shouldn't Christians be good people? I mean, come on. That's true. But it doesn't mean that we, we, we don't get the, the work part before the faith part. There's no way, and James is not teaching this, that your works are going to save you. That comes through faith. It doesn't mean that we don't need God's grace. But works on their own, or even done in our own power, are never going to do anything to bring us closer to the Lord. As one commentator said this, said, Grace doesn't get rid of works. Grace produces them. Grace, it doesn't make them unnecessary. It makes them possible. So we're saved by God's work. Not our, not our works. Not our good works. And James is talking about two totally separate things between salvation and sanctification. But when we're saved, when we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith comes alive, and it becomes active, that's how we know it's real. Things begin to change. And if it doesn't change, James, I think, would argue that's not a saving faith. Maybe a belief. It may be a rightly held view of who God is, but that is not a saving faith. So what does an active faith look like? I think Jesus boiled it down to one word. Love. It means that you love God and that you love people, not just with your mouth, but with your hands and with your feet. The venerable bead I said that name to East and he laughed this week. But the venerable Bede wrote this. He said, There are many evil people around who believe that God means what He says and they are quite prepared to accept that He exists. But it takes someone who is not just a nominal Christian, but who is one indeed and in living to love God and to do what He commands. Faith with love is Christian, but faith without love is demonic. And I think that's one of the distinguishing factors between a belief and a deeply rooted faith in who Jesus Christ is and knowing Him personally. Notice the language Jesus used in Matthew 7. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Your faith has to be alive through Christ, has to be active through love. And notice the last thing James teaches us. He says, your, and this is where it gets tough. He says, your faith must be Affirmed, verses 21 through 26. As you go through life, your faith is going to be tried. Sometimes it's going to be tried multiple times throughout the day. But it's going to get tested. It's going to be stretched. It's going to be exercised. And hopefully through that, it, it really blossoms and begins to grow. And remember how James began this, this letter several weeks ago. What did he say? He said, listen... You're going to grow through various trials. You're going to have some experiences that test your faith. He said, but count it joy, even in the hard stuff, because that's the stuff that's going to produce something good, that good fruit, that real faith. Now, we look at these final verses, and it seems like James is teaching something, again, completely contrary to the rest of Scripture, certainly contrary to the gospel of grace. Do you know that Martin Luther, the great reformer, did not like the book of James? I kind of feel him. It hurts. 
He, he despised the book of James. He even called the book of James an epistle of straw because it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Wow. However, when you look closely at the language James uses here, especially in verse 24, verse 24 causes us some problems. When James talks about justification, he's not talking about justification the same way that the Apostle Paul, for example, talks about justification. Paul hammers time and time again, justification by faith for salvation, right? So true. But like we said, James is not talking just about that point of salvation. He's talking about what happens after that. What happens in the continued life of the believer is they grow in faith and they grow closer to God and they become more obedient and more like Christ. And so when James discusses justification... Remember who James is, very traditional, very Jewish man. He uses a traditional understanding of justification, which said justification is an affirmation by God of the person's faith, which results in righteous living and righteous action. Paul used the term to say a person was justified or legally made right before God based on Christ's work on the cross. And again, these two have to go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And so they can't be separated. But again, works cannot produce a new creature, but only faith in Christ, which results in good works. We've got to get that understanding right. What we're talking about really is the difference between our works and God's works. We can reform our lives. You can look, if you're not saved, you can stop doing everything bad today and start doing everything good and your life will look a lot different. But listen, that is not regenerating a new heart in you. You can make all the reformations, but only God can do the regeneration and make you into a brand new creature. And anything good that we do apart from God, as Paul says, it's filthy rags. It's absolutely worthless. and can never do anything to make us look better to God. But when Christ truly saves a person, and I think this is one way that you know that you know that you know. When you've been saved, you know it because something inside of you changes. You suddenly don't feel the same way. You don't want to act the same way. You don't want to talk the same way. You have an inclination to do more good than you used to have. And that don't mean you're, going, you're, you're perfect, but it means that you're being made perfect as you walk with Christ. Reformation is turning over a new life. Regeneration is receiving a new life. Charles Spurgeon said, Regeneration is not a change of the old nature, but an introduction of a brand new nature. You see, when I got saved, it wasn't that there was suddenly a different Tyler. Tyler died. Tyler was crucified with Christ on the cross. And a new Tyler was created. That's how this works. James uses two illustrations from the Old Testament to demonstrate this. He says, for Abraham, his faith and his actions. Notice how he says it. They were working together. They were hand in hand. And Abraham's faith was made complete, or as James would understand it, it was affirmed by God in that testing or that instance with Isaac being sacrificed. And he says, not only that, but Scripture was fulfilled. Now, now this is awesome. I love these little nuggets in Scripture. You dig into this, and I've overlooked this so many times. But James says, Scripture was fulfilled. And what he's talking about is in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which says, you all are familiar with this, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him 
is righteousness. That's the same thing Paul said, right? He's saying this, he's saved, he's justified by faith. But here's what, what we miss. That instance in Genesis chapter 15 took place years and years and years before Abraham ever laid his son Isaac on the altar. It took place long before his faith was actually put to the test and affirmed through that testing of Isaac. Likewise, a very different character, not a patriarch, not a great exemplar of faith, not really a very good person. James flat out says it's a woman and a prostitute. But in the same book of the Bible, she confessed belief in the one true God, she said. And that belief resulted in an action. And the result was her salvation being spared from the same destruction that all of her people had to go through. Now, listen, we may not have an Isaac on the altar moment. Lord, I pray I never have a, a test like that, right? We may never experience that. But is your faith affirmed in your life and the little things every day? Kind of put to the test every time you go around some, an unbeliever. Or every time somebody says something to you cross in the way that you respond to them. Are we faithful? Are we affirmed every day in the little things? Is your faith active and alive in every part of your life? James hits us hard when he says, if your faith is not impacting every part of you, that is no faith. Does your faith affect the way you treat people? Does it affect the way that you love people? Does it affect the way that you talk to people? If it isn't, James concludes once again by saying, your faith is dead. Now it's my prayer that we have a faith that's very much alive and active. And it's so pleasing to your pastor when he sees the church being active and expressing this faith in Christ and trying to help others come into a saving relationship with Christ through faith. But if your faith is not alive, active, and it's not affirmed in the way that you live, you need to come alive this morning through Jesus Christ. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, once again, your word is so challenging. I mean, it it hits us hard, Lord, and it hits us right at home where it hurts. God, I know the church, and I maybe I've even been guilty of this. We've taught a shallow faith in many cases. One that emphasizes belief, and Lord, while that's so true, we have to be faithful to teach that our relationship with Christ changes us. That we're supposed to live differently Be obedient. Even as the Great Commission says, to teach people to obey everything I've commanded them. God, we can't overlook that. And Lord, this morning, if someone's here and we've been claiming to be a a Christian, we've been claiming to believe and have faith, but our faith is not alive, it's not changing us, it's not active and and, and results in, in other people coming to Christ, God, I pray that you would just, you'd save us. Pray that you'd wake us up. That you'd forgive us for having such a shallow faith. 
when you paid such a lofty cost for us to have faith at all. God, if there's someone here that's never placed their faith in Jesus, and they've never been saved at all, Lord, I pray that today they'd find Him, they'd meet Him, that it wouldn't just be a, 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 a a decision in our mind where we say yes, we believe this, we believe in Jesus, it would become a personal relationship and we would know you. Father, I pray that your spirit would guide us this morning and search our hearts, the very depths of who we are, Lord. And God, whatever is in there, I pray that our relationship with Jesus would affect all of it. As we talked about in Sunday school, God, that we wouldn't just make Him our Savior, but we make Him our Lord and our King, and we would entrust to Him every single part of who we are. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. This morning, if you need to come and pray, if there's a decision that you need to make, why don't you come as we sing a song of invitation, as we sing, I Surrender All. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.